There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kremitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. And Greg, here we are, episode 81. Oh, that's hard to believe, but awesome. And last week, we sort of wrapped up our estate planning mini-series where we had Jonathan Ng from Underwood Gilholm join us to talk about all things estate planning. But we are committed to having him back to discuss things like trusts and I think you mentioned something in the last episode, trust, blended families, things like that. That's right. right. And that'll happen probably in the new year. So for today, we're going to go in a different direction with our discussion. And we're pleased to have join us a financial strategist for CEOs, a columnist at Forbes.com, and the host of another podcast, Greg, one called the Business Society Podcast. I'm sure that's a good one too, but free lunch is probably better, but we'll we'll get into that. But Melissa Houston is joining us. Melissa is a chartered professional accountant who helps successful business owners increase their profit margins without having to increase revenue. That's an interesting concept. You we'll bet. get into that. But she has over 20 years of business experience with all kinds of corporations, government, not-for-profit businesses. Melissa, we're very pleased to welcome you to the Free Lunch Podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here today. Well, that's great. And First of all, just can you tell our listeners where you're joining us from today, Melissa? Absolutely, fellow Canadian. I am joining you from Ottawa, Canada, capital of Canada. Well, the capital out east. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to have a Canadian on the show. We've had a number of Americans recently, and it's nice we can speak the same language. That's right, eh? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm kidding. No, I was really excited when I saw that this was a Canadian podcast because I too deal mostly with Americans and it's so fun to talk with fellow Canadians because we're doing so many fantastic things up in Canada as well. Well, that's great. And so why don't we kick off, Melissa, with just how did you get where you are today? So tell us your story. Absolutely. So it's a little bit of a convoluted story. My first career was in social work. I had been working in social work for about five to six years, but I felt it was a very high burnout career path. And talking with my dad, I was like, I didn't know what to do. I remember my grade 10 business teacher telling me, oh, I think you're good at business. And my dad was like, accounting is a very respectable profession. So I ended up registering for business. And I eventually ended up majoring in accounting and got designated. I'm very analytical, but in my career path, I really noticed what I was doing was it felt very much like introverted work. And even though I'm an introvert, I have an extroverted part of me, which is part of the social work side of me where I really wanted to help people. And I noticed when I was working in public accounting, when we were helping small and medium-sized business owners, understand their books. Like they would come in, they would get their books assessed and their tax returns completed. And we would sit down and we would give them really good, valuable feedback on what was going on in their business. And I could see the disconnect right there where I was like, they don't understand what we're telling them. So I really wanted to 
go out on my own and start exploring that and really helping business owners and fill in that gap of that lack of education where we hear so much in the personal finance space about managing our personal finances. But I also wanted to talk to them about managing their business finances and how they can create so much more profit in their business when they understand their business numbers. With a background in social work, and just to share a little bit, my wife is a social worker. My parents are both social workers. Oh, wow. My sister-in-law okay. is a social worker. Okay, that's Very awesome. Very familiar with that <laughs> space. And what I've found, and it sounds like you've found, is that in our role as portfolio managers, investment advisors, we actually tend to do a lot of counseling. So you're just talking about how in the accounting world, you end up using maybe some of your social work skills in counseling business owners. Is that right? Absolutely. And actually, that is something that I really put at the forefront because money is such an emotional topic for so many people. We all have money stories. And I really try to talk about the emotion behind it and how their mindsets are affected by the emotion that they're feeling and how they could inadvertently be holding themselves back in business because there's such a negative relationship with that money. So that's definitely one of the first things that I talk about with my clients is developing that healthy relationship to money. What is that? So what do you mean by a healthy relationship with money? And how do you help people do that? Everybody has their own money stories. I've never met two people with the same story. And quite often, just for example, I was working with a business owner not too long ago who felt like it was really a negative thing to want to make more money in their business than what they needed to live because they had been told that rich people or wealthy people were not nice people. So this is the conditioning that they had in their childhood, but they didn't realize they were carrying it so strongly until we started talking about it. And they were like, that's right. I totally too deserve to have a piece of the pie and getting over those mindsets that are holding them back in business. Or there's other people who I've worked with who have a real fear of selling not themselves, but their products, their offers. And it becomes a very personal thing. And it becomes very guilt-ridden asking people for money for their services and reframing those kind of thoughts to ensure that they're not holding themselves back in their business. And a positive money mindset is definitely somebody who can see money for what it is. And money is really a tool that we use for exchange of goods and services. And when you have a positive relationship with money, you can get into that growth cycle and understand that having a lot of money is not necessarily a bad thing. Like there's a lot of good things you can do when you're creating wealth for yourself. So you can either choose to share it with your family, friends, keep it for yourself, build a not-for-profit, like whatever it is that motivates you. Interesting. I want to ask you a little bit about something that It might sound personal, but because you put it on your website, I figure it's fair game to talk about. And I have a feeling I know what's coming. (laughs) (laughs) You talk about your own personal experience where somehow you accidentally found yourself deeper in debt than you would have liked. and Huge debt. Talk about how does that happen, because I'm sure it happens to many, many people, and probably that gives you a lot of personal experience to assist you with your money coaching. So tell us a little bit about that. I love that you asked this because I love sharing the story. And the reason I share it is for people to understand that your mistakes don't define you. Me being a CPA in the industry for over 20 years, I managed to accumulate over $100,000 worth of debt. And this was consumer debt. And I had hid a lot of it from my husband. He's more debt adverse than I am. And I knew what I was doing was wrong. 
at the time, but I kept doing it. And it was like this habit that was feeding my ego and making me feel better because I was accumulating these material things. And I just kept going and going, knowing that I was running out of credit. I was eventually going to get caught with this. And I was lying to my husband. And no matter what I was buying, I still wasn't feeling better. It may have given me a little bit of a boost for 24 hours or even 30 seconds, like whatever it was. But I realized whatever it was that I was chasing just wasn't coming from this material stuff. So when everything hit the fan, so to speak, I got caught in my lies and I had to come clean. First of all, facing the disappointment of my husband was very, very jarring to me. But I also was like, how did this happen to me? Like I knew better and I still allowed myself to do it. And I went on this journey of self-reflection and what I really realized And it didn't come to me overnight. It was peeling back the layers, peeling back the layers, because I knew on the surface I was very happy. But as the layers were peeled back, I also realized that I wasn't being true to who I really wanted to be. So I was at the stage where my kids were older. They didn't need me as much. It was more time for myself. And it was really time for me to go out on my own, leave my job that I wasn't happy with and really try something that I always wanted to try. Like I really always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And that just helped me realize that when we aren't being true to ourselves, how much trouble we can get ourselves into, like even the best of us, by the best of us, when I say that, I mean, because I'm so money oriented and specialize in money management and stuff, I still was brought down the path of mistakes and errors. And like I said, I share this story so that people know that our mistakes don't define us. And I've had a lot of finance professionals come out to me and say, you know what? I really appreciate you sharing that story because the same thing happened to me. And I felt like such a failure, but it's not who we are. It's just a blip in time as far as I'm concerned. So you're talking about being a finance professional, running into trouble personally in your finances. Isn't that kind of like the plumber with the leaky pipes or the chef who doesn't cook or you know what I mean? Like it's the electrician who won't change a light bulb. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I find it easier in our seat to tell people what to do, what to do with their money, how to invest it, how to save it, et cetera. It's probably harder for me to look at myself and to follow those same principles because I'm not objective. And it can be hard, especially when you're pulling at emotions. We're all human and we all see what our neighbors have, what our siblings have, friends, whatever. And I don't know about you, but yeah, I want the finer things in life, but I also know that I need to be able to afford them. So it's that constant struggle. Like it's a personal struggle within yourself in the day of being in debt and the access to credit. It's so easy. You're constantly fighting your inner wants versus choosing the right thing to do. Yeah. Like that purchase, is it really going to bring happiness in other words? Exactly. Like, you know, it's going to put a dent in your savings or what have you. I mean, depending on the level of the purchase, but sometimes common sense has to come in there and those can be hard decisions to make sometimes. Sorry, Greg, I don't want to cut you off, but I do have one thing I just want to share. So Melissa, I bought a sports car a year or two ago. I thought this would bring me happiness because it was a car that I've wanted my whole life. Guess what? I sold it because it didn't bring me any (laughs) form of happiness. It was just another thing to look after. I hated it. That was exactly what I was going to bring up. Oh, sorry. And I think a lot of, (laughs) no, it's excellent. 
I think a lot of studies of happiness and what makes people happy have identified that people kind of have their normalized level of happiness and that things like buying a new sports car can temporarily bring you some joy. And then you basically, after a while, revert back to your normal level of happiness. And some people, maybe generally speaking, are happier than others. But that's kind of you and things like that, for the most part, don't change. That purchase brought me about 30 minutes of joy. (laughs) I can relate. I have a swimming pool that brought me about the same amount of joy. (laughs) I can't return it. (laughs) What else should we ask Melissa here, Greg? There's one thing you talk about, something you call resetting your debt mindset, why wealth is possible for anyone. Maybe you can explain that a little. Absolutely. I mean, it's so common when we go back to talking about money stories. So for people who have grown up in an environment where debt was always around and they're taught to feel that it's normal, that they'll always be in debt, and then they've continued that pattern into their own adult years, it's never too late to change that. Even if you weren't raised like that, but you ended up in a pattern of debt, it's not too late to change what's going on. And resetting your mindset is really doing that self-reflective work that looking deep inside you and trying to figure out what the triggers are to be getting yourself into debt like that. And once you understand what the triggers are and how you can change that and understand, create a debt repayment plan for yourself and get out of debt, then you can start building your wealth. And being on the other side of debt is just so much more freeing than constantly living with the stress and the weight of carrying that debt. I guess for entrepreneurs and business owners who you deal with a lot, where attitudes toward debt must be a little bit different on the entrepreneurial side, because obviously debt could play an important role in financing or capitalizing a business. Yeah, absolutely. Not all debt is created equal, but debt is debt, no matter how you look at it. And what I talk about with my clients is... Yes, there are investments that you can make now where you're financing these investments. And if there's going to be a return on that investment, then it would absolutely be worth it. But so often entrepreneurs, especially online entrepreneurs, I'm noticing they get into this cycle of having to put themselves into debt for the next shiny object that's going to pull them out of maybe slumpy sales or not making enough money with their offers, and they're putting themselves into debt by grabbing onto things that really aren't working. So what I really try to talk about with debt is that good debt versus bad debt, it's such a confusing topic for so many people because so many people think, okay, well, it's for business, so it's okay to be in debt. But that's not the case because when you're over leveraged, you're still putting your business at risk. As we talk about business owners in our line of work, we see so much wealth created by business owners. So many individuals think, oh, playing the stock market, for example, in quotations, is the way to achieve wealth. And we all know that for the most part, the stock market is absolutely a great way to invest and to grow wealth, hopefully slowly, but positively over time. Whereas the ability of business owners to create wealth is seemingly unlimited. And so can you maybe just talk about that? Like, why do business owners have that unique ability to build wealth in a way that the rest of us mortals can't? I love this question because I love talking to business owners specifically about this. You definitely are in a unique position to build your own wealth, especially when you own your business 100%. 
you have the ability to structure your business in the way that either you are making millions of dollars, or if you're comfortable at just a hundred thousand dollars, whatever makes you comfortable, you have the ability to create that because it's your business and understanding what your financial goals are and mapping those financial goals out within your business so that you are increasing your net worth through your business is absolutely magical. And I love to show business owners how they can do this. And a lot of clients that I work with, like I've mentioned earlier, they're facing those money mindset restrictions because they're limiting themselves with their beliefs of the ability to make money within their business. So I love it when business owners own the fact that they can create as much wealth as they want through their business. I'm sure you've run into this. There are many entrepreneurs out there who are fantastic at generating great business ideas and starting and creating businesses, but managing the businesses, maybe not so much. How do entrepreneurs bridge that gap between the sort of the creative side of starting a business and a successful business? And then the, I won't call it mundane, but the more sort of detail-oriented side of managing the business, both from a personal and a financial standpoint. Absolutely. And this is the struggle that I see with so many entrepreneurs. They're so good at what they're offering. They're really good at bringing in money. They could be making millions of dollars. And in fact, I interviewed a gentleman not too long ago who had been making millions of dollars and he lost it all because he was not managing his money well within his business. And that's the thing. A lot of business owners feel overwhelmed by, like you said, the less shiny mundane tasks of running your business. And I really try to bring out the excitement of that because who doesn't get excited when they start realizing how much money they're making for themselves? So quite often, Business owners are associating their success with their revenue numbers. I do explain to them that it's not the revenue numbers that are going to generate a really good business. It's your profit line. Not enough people talk about the profit that they're keeping. And the profit is all your revenue coming in, less all your expenses going out. And if you're positive, you're making a profit. If you're negative, that's a red flag. Your business is in trouble. You need to keep your business profitable. And profit is when you own 100% of your business, that is what you get to keep after you've paid your taxes. So as your profit increases in your business, so does your net worth. And the sad thing is 82% of businesses fail due to financial mismanagement. So you can be making all the money that you want, but if you're not managing your finances within your business, you're still putting yourself at risk for losing that business. So understanding how your financials work really help drive the business more than anything. You're in Ottawa, you mentioned. Have you shared these findings with our current government? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Would they listen? (laughs) I'm just joking, but I do have something serious. So what we run into is we do deal with a number of business owners or we have over the years. And I find sometimes the expectations are out of line. I'll meet with somebody and they'll say, well, I'm not looking for much. I just want 20 or 25% rate return per year. And we start talking about how, well, the S&P 500 has an 8% per year for 80 years. So to get 20% per year, you're talking about taking on a lot of risk. And the comments are often, well, that's what I'm getting out of my business. So maybe I should just invest back in my business rather than divest my investments. So this is what you're talking about. 
yeah, you could put it back into your business and hopefully grow it by 20 or 25%. But what if it doesn't? What if something happens to the business and all of your money's tied up in that business? And as you're speaking, the first thing that comes to mind is diversification. It's always the safer bet to diversify where your money is invested. And I mean, you know, as well as I do how diversification works. I hope so. We've got a lot of credentials behind the names to say that we do, but (laughs) (laughs) we do talk about how there's no free lunch in investing except for three things. There are three free lunches. Number one, asset allocation. Number two, diversification. And number three, this podcast. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Just to build on Colin's point, we have heard a lot of times from business owners, I want my money to work as hard for me as I did when I was building my business. And it is kind of a mindset change because, of course, entrepreneurs, they sort of put it all on the line. And many times they bet the farm on their idea, and hopefully it turns out to be a good one. And they realize that they could lose it all. And yet when they move from that point to taking the profits, their hard-earned profits, and investing them, they're not quite as eager to withstand that kind of volatility that they were willing to take in their own businesses. And so I think part of our challenge is to convince people that the risk they took paid off, and now they get to benefit by now reducing the risk overall and searching for a lower but more stable passive. So uh, boring, Greg. I know. So boring. I hope there's no entrepreneurs listening to this. uh, (laughs) (laughs) But no, you're absolutely right. You're probably saying things that people don't want to hear, but you're absolutely right. I think the key thing for us with our clients is to understand the risks and the expected returns and to invest accordingly. Well, it's like if you're dealing with business owners, maybe you dealt with the last business owner to open up a Blockbuster franchise (laughs) I mean, that probably didn't work out very well. So That's right. Well, I just want to get back for a second. You were talking about the importance of focusing on profit and not revenue. And for me, that's always been kind of the exciting thing is to imagine that, well, without having to necessarily bring in more revenue, you can actually find ways to increase your profits. We always talk about with people, it's the money you take to the bank that matters. Profit margins Yeah, they're important, but they don't matter. It's the dollars that matter. And it's a tricky thing to get across, but how do you help businesses improve profits without necessarily improving revenues? So often I get business owners coming to me and they haven't even looked at their financial statements in years or ever. So the first and most basic place you can go is just looking at those expense items and seeing how many expenses are going into creating that revenue and where you can cut. So often I see business owners carrying things like subscriptions or spending too much on advertising that's not giving them a a really good return or just so many things that can happen in a business. And if you just look at your expenses and you plug up your money leaks right there, you don't even have to increase your revenue or your sales levels because you're tightening up your expenses and keeping more money for yourself. And that applies on a personal level as well. I'm sure for all of our listeners, speaking for myself, so I won't cast aspersions on anyone other than me, but when I sit down and look at my monthly bills, the automatic charges to the credit cards for subscriptions like Netflix, Disney, (laughs) Prime Video, BritBox. What's BritBox? BritBox, basically, it's a streaming service of mainly British television shows. We wouldn't have that one in our house. Which are excellent, by the way, but... I just discovered, I'll I'll admit this live on the podcast, I actually accidentally have two Amazon Prime subscriptions. So, Oopsies. So that, <laughs> it just shows 
it's not till you sit down and you add it up that well, you gr- see what an impact that has on your monthly expenses. You have a great saying about creeping incrementalism. Creeping incrementalism, that's right. Every little addition of eight ninety nine or ten ninety nine a month doesn't seem like a lot yes. in itself, but you have a couple dozen of those and it starts to add up. Exactly. It's so true. So Melissa, what's the best advice you could give to our listeners in regards to what you do and what you think people should do? For business owners, it's always know your numbers and create that financial plan. If you're a business owner, 2022 is coming up. If you don't have a 12-month strategy plan, you need to create one. I always say to business owners, a goal without a plan is just a wish. So if you have these goals of increasing your revenue, growing your business, whatever it is for 2022, you need to map that out month by month for the next 12 months. And that gives you a roadmap to creating those profit levels that you're looking for in your business as well and monitoring those month over month over month. Honestly, my key advice to business owners is create that plan because it gives direction for your business and it gives you actionable steps to take. Excellent. And it certainly mirrors what we recommend to our individual clients for their personal financial future. Even the quote you shared is the same quote I know Blair on our team has used quite often in financial planning discussions about a goal without a plan is just a wish. So I've heard that before, but that's very good advice. Very good advice. Greg, what else do we got? That sort of covers off what we wanted to talk about today. We appreciate your experience and your insights. And we never let anybody off the hook without a little speed round at the end here. So (laughs) these are softballs, so you don't have to worry too much about catching them. So I guess the first question is, what do you do for fun when you're not working? Being Canadian and well, being specifically in Ontario too, because I'm not sure if you guys, I don't think in Calgary, you guys really have cottages much, eh? Nothing like Ontario, no. Yeah, yeah. So we're definitely up in cottage country go there by the lake, have fun. If it's the winter wall right now, it's kind of cold. Go up there, light a fire, relax, go for walks, stuff like that. In the summer, we're on the boat, water skiing, tubing, all that fun stuff with the kids and just enjoying the outdoors. It sounds idyllic. We do have cottage country. We just have to drive about nine hours, well, three hours in Colin's case, nine hours in my case to get to it. So There's cottage country. It's just not close. It's called British Columbia. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't call them cottages. We call them cabins. I know. My cousin out there is always calling it the cabin. (laughs) Yeah. I actually like to call them cabbages. So it's just a combination of the cabin cottage. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me, Melissa, are you a reader? What are you reading these days? Wow. What am I reading these days? I am reading like everything. And I just actually picked up a book. It's called She Talks. I ordered it from this woman out in PEI who's speaking about how women need to claim their spots in the business world and create that wealth. So I just started that book and so far it's been really, really great. I wish I could remember the author's name right now, but it's called She Talks. Excellent. Well, and that obviously ties in very closely with your main objective of helping women entrepreneurs more specifically. Exactly. And because she's Canadian too, I took a special interest. I'm not going to lie. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Now, because I brought up the thorny subject of subscription fees, are you a binge watcher? And if so, what are you watching these days? I'm really on this Canadian theme. I'm binge watching over and over again, Schitt's Creek. Oh, (laughs) 
<laughs> I just love that show. It makes me feel like I'm home. Like it's just so comfortable and it's funny. And I love that character, David. And I just listen to it over and over again. That's good. I got something for you. You mentioned that you are an introvert by nature, but you saw this desire to be extroverted in some part of your life. I've recently come across a definition of this. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. It's called an ambivert. Oh, And I came across it because I actually think I'm the same thing. You're always defined as either being an introvert or an extrovert and nothing in between, which is just not the case. Like there's lots of introverts that are extroverted socially, and there's lots of extroverts that need some downtime. So there you go. Okay. That's good to know. Lesson learned. Yes. I will always credit you for that too. Next time I repeat it. Ambivert. Ambivert. (laughs) You'll never say that to anyone without having to explain what you're talking about. (laughs) I love it. Do we let her off the hook, Rick? I think so. That was great. Melissa, we really appreciate you joining the podcast today. And I think that's valuable information for individuals and business owners. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. Where can people find you if they're looking for more advice or want to pursue what you do a little further? You can find me at melissahoustoncpa.com and thefractionalcfoagency.com. Thefractionalcfoagency.com. Yeah. Got it. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. It's been a pleasure and good luck with business. Thank you. Sounds like you might make it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thanks again. All right. Till next time. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc. 2021.